0: Welcome to the Customer Insight Leader Podcast. Data, analytics, big data, data science, machine learning, customer insight, behavioral science, blockchain, data ops, data engineering, agile working. Phew, too many terms, too many things to think about. Do you as a leader need somewhere to turn? To hear what other leaders are doing? To hear what really makes a difference in your business? Welcome. The Customer Insight Leader Podcast is here for you. Each episode, we'll be interviewing a different leader in the fields of customer insight, data, and analytics to hear what they really do, what really makes a difference. So settle down, get that cup of coffee, and enjoy the Customer Insight Leader podcast. Hello and welcome. Welcome the Customer Insight Leader podcast, a place to hear from today's leaders in the fields of customer insight, data science, and analytics. I'm your host, Paul Loughlin, and with me today is Suresh Pillai. He's joining us from Berlin to continue our our international focus. A theoretical physicist at his core, Suresh is a leader in the fields of data science, customer intelligence, and marketing analytics. Along the way, he's developed self-organizing algorithms for network routing, disrupted multi-touch marketing attribution and transformed CRM from a marketing endeavor to a data science one. So that sounds intriguing. His recent focus has been on data strategy and building intelligent customer products, driving data to the, the core of a company's commercial and product experience. But he maintains his scientific interests in complexity theory and statistical mechanics. So there's some interesting new topics there listeners for us to explore in this podcast and get as we did a bit maybe with Alan Crawley a little scientific again. Welcome Suresh.
1: Thank you Paul, it's a pleasure to join today and I look forward to our chat uh, and you know discussing uh, my view on data science.
0: <laughs> Brilliant, I look forward to it Suresh and it's the the diversity of people's views that is great to have. I look forward to your perspective. Now, First off, as you're our latest international guest on this podcast, I think for memory we've had a couple of guests join us from the US, had Andy Sutton join us from Australia, and now you're connecting in from Berlin. Thought it might be interesting to get a bit of a view on what it's like out there. What's the data or data science scene like there? Is it thriving and growing, or something else?
1: Definitely, definitely a hot market here, um, hmm. and I think there's demand doesn't uh, is much bigger. Uh, than the supply. So there's a lot of international hiring from not just over Europe, but actually uh, globally. Um, Berlin, the startup scene, and even the more mature businesses have really accelerated in the past couple of years. So it's really a great time to be here and a a great market for data scientists to come.
0: Great. Good to hear. Good to hear. Um, Okay. I've asked um, every one of our guests who's come on this podcast to kick us off just by giving us a bit of their backstory to set context, if you like. So, could you tell us a bit about your background, and maybe particularly how you've transitioned from this
1: passion for physics into data science? Yes, so yeah, so as we said, uh, I'm a theoretical physicist, uh, and I did my research on uh, complex systems. um, Mm. And that's really about understanding how uh, large systems composed of a multitude of components uh, how, how to understand them, how to model them uh, and, you know, topics like emergence, right? So how simple mm-hmm. rules lead to emergent behavior at the whole system. So something, you know, the simple one I think most people know is how ants forage for food. Uh, you know, they only follow local pheromone rules, uh, but you get a global emergent behavior where the, the nest of ants can find food collectively. Right. Um, so I was interested in that from a physics point of view and understanding things like emergence synchronization uh, and so on um, and that took me naturally into doing some practical work in the real world as we say uh, mm-hmm. in designing algorithms for distributed networks so self-organizing uh, and simple uh, uh, self-adaptive network algorithms mm-hmm. uh, originally a uh, large company like Nortel and then for a small uh, startup that was doing distributed storage for medical systems mm-hmm. uh, and that from there, it's just one of those chance opportunities, I joined an online poker company to do what we call then business intelligence, but what we now know is, is data science, so doing predictive modeling for customer behavior uh, and understanding you know, the ecosystem uh, of the whole business. And where did you go from there? <laughs> um, yeah, so and then you know, from there it really you know, spearheaded, so that was actually uh, 15 years ago when i started into what we now call data science uh, and it, from there it's just been growth so i eventually from that poker company i moved to europe to do some research and then eventually joined ebay to, to lead yeah. marketing analytics uh, and from there i've gone on to do crm product analytics and my current stage then is more strategic uh, you know managing all these topics for a company mm. Uh, and making sure that data is driving the core of the strategy. So not a service, but really an equal partner with product marketing.
0: Yeah, I like like the sound of that. I think it's a a theme that many businesses are catching on to now, that it isn't there to be a geeky service function, but it's there to be an equal partner in the strategic conversations and, and the shaping of the business going forward, because it is such a core capability for competing going forward.
1: Yeah, and I think if I look back at, at that transition and that career, what started at the, at the poker company was really this focus on customer, right? I mean, and that has been the focus of my career. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that has been successful even in some very complex problems where things were just right, even when using data science. And when we re-looked at it, and really focus from the customer point of view, we found the solution. So, uh, whether it's marketing, product, or CRM, like truly focusing customer, people say that. But when you do it from actually your analytics point of view mm-hmm. as well, you you really do arrive at the correct solution for otherwise, you know, ambiguous problems, right? We are trying to solve ambiguous problems with data.
0: Yeah, abso- absolutely, completely agree. And I like that call out. Actually, I think so often the view of taking a customer centric view, people think of. When you use that kind of language, they think of customer experience leaders waxing lyrical and mission statements and all this kind of stuff. But I agree with you. I think the reality of that work is very data-centric because it's yeah, I think counter- the best richness of your understanding. Go on.
1: Yeah, sorry. I think the best example, I mean, don't want to get into full details, is uh, when you hmm. think about marketing attribution, you're trying to compare channel performance. Uh, and if you do the analysis by segmenting by channels, you actually don't get the right answer what you need to do is segment by customers and then see yes. what the distribution of those customers in each of the channels is, right? So again, look to the truth, which is uh, the customer uh, focus.
0: Yes, great, great. I no, completely agree, Suresh. Keen to dig in a bit more to um, your interests in the physics and uh, as you say, almost overlapping with the, bi- the biological systems side as well. When we've chatted before, you, you quite often mention your interest, clearly a continued passion. In, in complex systems and simulations. Do you see these as part of this overall term AI that's being used all the time now? Or do you mean something different to a number of the AI modeling approaches you see?
1: No, I'd say it's very different. Typically, you know, machine learning and what we call now AI is um, trying to output a model that predicts, right? Uh, yeah. It could be sometimes a very specific equation like a logistic. Or it could be something non-parametric, where there is some model that you, you feed data to and it, and it, it outputs something. Mm-hmm. Um, but a simulation is something very different, right? You're running uh, a simulation of a system because it's highly dynamic, it has different agents involved. So you can't uh, describe it by an equation, like traditional physics and science. Uh, yeah. And you can't just, um, on the input, you know, process some heuristic or model to get the output. What, mm. what it means is the system is so complex, you can only understand it by actually running it. That's what a simulation is, right? Yeah. Um, and this has been, this is what the whole field of complex systems is about. It's saying a system is so complex because the state of the agent and the state of the environment and the equation that de- describes your behavior is evolving mm. with you as well. right? Mm. So the the description is not static which is why you can in traditional physics and science you can use equations to compress that information uh, nicely but in a very ultra complex system then you need to actually simulate is the only way yeah. to understand it and that's a very different way because then you need to know how do i run multiple simulations you know ensembles of simulations and extract insights hmm. and i think until very recently, most data scientists didn't really have that toolkit, right? It was really about machine learning, but simulation is very much needed um, in these complex systems, especially now, especially here in Berlin, where urban mobility has become a very successful, uh, disruptive uh, startup business. Mm. Um, Even something like, you know, scooter or car uh, hailing services. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have a geospatial, you have different types of sharing, you have different types of customers. How do you understand that? Well, you really have to run a, you know, an agent based model simulation Mm -hmm. across some grid. Right. And understand how different scenarios, different demand scenarios, different supply scenarios or an exogenous event like a huge traffic issue can um, impact uh, Mm -hmm. your business. Um, so it's a very different kind of way of of looking at uh, solving a problem, right? So we have the three ways right there. One is you know traditional science, which is just trying to get an equation out of it, right, to summarize yes. it. The other one is a, uh, machine learning, is where we have some algorithmic model that outputs something, and mm-hmm. the third one is really a simulation. You have to run the system. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. typically, you don't simulate the full system in all its glory detail. Mm-hmm. You need to simplify it into the essential components. So mm-hmm. just like we do feature engineering in uh, machine learning, yeah. you need to abstract it to a level that gives you the right output, but also it has practical way of actually running it. Um, and that's something that links back to my scientific background and actually when we were your earlier question about transitioning from physics to data science, hmm. um, it's, it's sometimes really important about how do you build abstract frameworks, right? You need to simplify mm-hmm. the problem to enable the proper business questions to be answered. So mm-hmm. is, it, is it a scientific approach? um is it a machine learning approach or is it a simulation approach all of them have s- different levels of abstraction but they do yeah. the same thing
0: great thank you Suresh. That's quite a useful framework i think for thinking about being a bit more intentional about which modeling approach will help in in a particular scenario it's interesting actually it puts me in mind of i did work for a number of years in ai about 20 years ago so before the ai winter and and back then that we use different language and you know, a plenty of focus on on machine learning and, and deep learning and neural networks as much as the uh, kind of more more rule induction or, or algorithmic approach but i only heard even then only a little bit about it was just beginning to emerge that the use of smart agents and the power of simulations and it is something i hear a lot less about do you think? few people are working on that side and it's underdeveloped compared with the other wings of data
1: science? I think it's underdeveloped in, I think, the most noisy parts of AI, and <laughs> AI the ones we see, right? But I, there are a lot of people, and especially engineers, who are obviously running simulations, mm. Uh, mm. wouldn't be considered data scientists. But you know, simulation has been a huge part of engineering for for decades, yes, uh, and obviously uh, science as well. So there are a lot of people in aerospace, uh, civil engineering, uh, who are doing simulations. Um, what I'm suggesting is that those of us in the what we call data science, the customer insights, um, I think we're not using it enough. But mm-hmm. as I said, in the cases like urban mobility, it's really the only way to solve it. Um, I would say what it brings out is this concept of you know what i like to talk about is that prediction and insights aren't always the same thing right and this goes back to my training in complex systems the idea of a complex system is that there are multiple levels of understanding right there's the system level understanding there's the atomic level understanding and there may be levels in between right Um, and i think there is a false belief that you can build a low level atomic hardcore predictive model typically black box, and then aggregate it to get insights at the higher levels. And, and that's yes. just not true. What you need is you need different models at each level, right? Uh, yes. And to translate that into data science languages, there are different features that are important at each level. Mm. So the atomic level might certain features may be driving the prediction, but at a higher level, there may be different features. Mm. So automatically that means if you have your atomic model with certain features, then it's not going to give you the insights at the higher level where different features are. Yeah. Important, yeah. Right? It's a very subtle point. Even a lot of physicists and scientists don't get that, but that's really where nonlinear systems and complex systems has come in. Right. I mean, there is a reason why we have physics, chemistry, biology, economics, uh, because you're looking at different levels of organization. Yes. You can't just use uh, low-level quantum physics to, to understand all those higher levels, right?
0: Yes, yes. No good point, Suresh. It reminds me by um, analogy, I guess, the degree to which I sometimes found even in more broad customer insight analytics work within businesses, it was people who came from an economics background who could approach something in a more successful way than those obsessed with building a particular prescriptive accurate model they were much more capable of thinking about levels of complexity interdependent systems and some of the assumptions and hypotheses that would need to be explored along the way rather than trying to reduce it down to one simple model that would uh, would crush everything else if you like
1: Yeah, and if I go to the example uh, of marketing attribution, which I would love to get into detail, maybe we'll do another podcast. (laughs) Aside from not thinking about channels and thinking of customers, and the other one I'll quickly mention is that, you know, static rules don't work. You need to build dynamic models. Okay. It's a perfect example where I view it as three levels, right? At the low level, there is a predictive model. I need to predict... Uh, the value of this marketing click or impression, right? And I can use that for real time bidding. I can use that for my propensity to to convert and so on. The next level up is really insights for the marketing department. So does this channel A before channel B have certain value and so on? you can't get that insights from the lower uh, model. You need to have a model. And then the top level is really what's the overall financial value of a channel and that's what usually starts a question that's from the cfo and that one usually you have a multiplier what's the overall incrementality of channel but these three levels of understanding marketing incrementality and attribution require different models you can't just use one model and get all three
0: that makes sense i like that. It's a nice practical application of that multiple levels of, of models and potentially different modeling approaches needed to to solve at the different levels I wanna just pick up on, you mentioned a while ago, a term that I hear come up from time to time of black box solutions. The idea that uh, you've got some kind of model, uh, traditionally I suppose we we thought of neural networks where it's not possible for the lay person to really understand what's going on inside it, but you trust that it comes up with the right answer. And I know a number of leaders who trying to advance AI or even just a range of approaches of data science modeling within their businesses, they come up against this objection. An operations function or some other part of the business doesn't want a black box solution, doesn't think that that would be allowable maybe in their business if it's highly regulated or or just workable and bought into by others. Do you see that as something that can be overcome with the kind of work you're talking about with complex systems or is there a different approach?
1: Yeah, I mean, actually relates to what I just said. So in that case of marketing attribution, the lowest level model, I may be okay with it being black box, right? I just need the prediction. Uh, yeah, and I need okay. To make okay. A, a decision dynamically on time when the customer visits a site. But the higher level models, I definitely need explainability and insight. So mm-hmm. I would say I agree and disagree. In general, <laughs> I actually agree with avoiding black box models. And that comes from my scientific background, right? Science mm-hmm. isn't black box. We have uh, concepts, that evolve and explainability, right? That's how science has evolved. Um, and that explainability and the features that drive it change, right? It could be from yeah. mechanics to relativity to quantum mechanics, but everything is explainable. Mm. Uh, and uh, my career, I have taken that scientific view and you know, I speak about putting the science into data science. And one of those is building models with explicit features uh, describing the situation you want to model. Uh, so I actually side with that, but of course there are certain, Situations where you do need to build, uh, let's say, a hardcore predictive model that that is black box, right? Um, And that's fine uh, in those situations. Uh, But you can still um, get insights out of a black box model sometimes if you're very creative about how you visualize it Mm -hmm. or what you extract from it, right? So you need to reduce the dimensions and concentrate on a few features of it and describe it. So, one example would be related to this, uh, what I talked before is maybe you have a propensity to convert model uh, for your CRM system and maybe it's a black box model, right? It's a lot of features going into it, your behavior on site, your history and so on. So maybe it is a black box model. Mm -hmm. So what do you do with that? You can make dynamic decisions, but if you need to understand strategically how your customers are behaving, what would you do? Or you need to tell the CRM department, the product and marketing department, we have these kind of customers, but all, all you have is this black box model that predicts propensity, to buy in, say, 10 mm. days. Actually, what you can do is actually plot that propensity to buy, how it evolves for all your customers, and you'll see oh, that there's yes. different behaviors that cluster out of that, right? So I've taken a black box yes. model. Yes. I'm giving a very simple example, right? Yeah, 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 I see your point. And, and then plotting the time evolution, and you'll see, like some cases, a certain customer will gradually, their propensity will grow to, to a conversion, uh, mm. maybe a nice staircase. Um, another one, the opposite would be someone who goes up and down and doesn't really grow. So they're kind of a confused customer. Yes. And a third one could be someone who comes inter- intermittently, eventually gets there, but slowly. So the yes. first customer, obviously you leave alone. The second customer, you need to intervene with CRM. The third one, maybe not intervene, but maybe nudge, right? So here's yes. a, just a simple example, black box model. I then extract some insights from it and then I have a segmentation. And then I can design my campaigns and marketing strategy. Based mm. Yes,
0: no, I like that, Suresh. It, it, it's rather nice—the um, almost metaphor approach. The data visualization literally does shed light on the uh, the black box solution. But yeah, I can I can see how that could that could help in even what is a complex nonlinear relationship. Being able to visualize what it means in terms of the the output behavior that you see. Funnily enough, it, it brings me to mind. I can think years ago of one of. The, things I used to love about um, Cajonan networks and self-organizing maps was when you can visualize them as a two-dimensional representation with a kind of heat map of that complexity of relationship, you can still see what are sometimes meaningful visual patterns that help you get your head around at least some consistent themes that you're seeing there.
1: Yeah, and actually, coincidentally, um, yesterday I was reading an article about, you know, visualizing clusters in massively large data sets, right? Which is where we are at this point. And in Ooh. this case, it's using quantum computing. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, okay. I mean, I was like, what? <laughs> uh, it, <laughs> and it's a type of quantum computing. It's not the one that everyone thinks about. It's called quantum annealing. Uh, and actually one of the leaders is one of my former uh, graduate school uh, colleagues in my office who started D-Wave in Vancouver. Uh, but it's a type of algorithm um, for that. And they've this article proposed how to use quantum annealing to do this visualization and extract clusters from massively large data sets so it was a surprising article to me it's very interesting Uh, I posted on LinkedIn if people want to check it out
0: brilliant thank you Suresh thank you you know always useful to have those opportunities to dive deeper and to to keep on top of how the science is is emerging just one one other follow-up question just I'm prompted by it I wonder whether you feel that in the current situation that many businesses are with how disruptive um coronavirus and other um, global changes have been. Are we in a situation where you think there'll be an increasing need for complex systems, a simulation type approach? Because whether you see some of those things as kind of black swan type events or entirely predictable, it does seem like we live in a more complex, more unpredictable world for businesses where it's not quite so straightforward. Would, Would you agree?
1: Yes. Well, we've always lived in a complex, uh, unpredictable world. I'll give mm. an analogy to actually the evolution of physics, right? So physics, okay. you know, is known to be in the most successful of sciences. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to get comments on that one. But go, yeah, go on. I will. but you know, that's a perception, right? Mm. Um, and when you think about it, that's because we as physicists have solved the easy problems. Now, people may say, hey, Suresh, quantum mechanics and relativity aren't easy. But what I mean mm. is we've historically solved the linear problems or the, the simpler systems. Okay. Um, when you get to the more complex systems, it, it does become much more challenging. Uh, you mm. know, one of the, I think the most interesting, outstanding, still, I would say unsolved. though there's been big uh, steps in the past few years. Is turbulence, right? So turbulence mm. is in water. You know, when you see this highly chaotic uh, behavior of water, and actually that's a very complex system with multiple levels. You have yes. you have uh, eddies uh at the large scale and and tiny currents at the small scale Mm. so there's there's things going in you know circles or flows at different levels they're separate but they're also interacting so energy is flowing from the high level to the bottom level uh and also the other way information is flowing so that is an example of a beautifully complex system with multiple levels and Mm. multiple behaviors um and that's the kind of thing where physics obviously is not solved completely and has taken a while. So I think even in data science, um, we have gone after the low hanging fruit, which is what you should do, right? As a good business yeah, person. Yeah. We've solved uh, many great problems, but now as we get to the more holistic view, right? I mean, I don't just focus on this single behavior of the customer. I need to understand in a whole, uh, whole way how this impacts their customer journey, uh, their retention and the whole business model, right? That's a simple way of looking at it. But yeah. I think yeah. even more complex then is, do I have to model just my own business or do I have to model how my business interacts with other businesses and the economy, right? And obviously this is what economists uh, try to understand top down. The question mm-hmm. is, can we also move bottom up to understanding this? And, and this is an ideal example of, of complexity. Makes sense. Makes sense. I can and, I, I can that's see where population will come in. Um, we have to broaden our toolset. Yes.
0: Yes. That 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 I can completely agree with. I'm going to avoid the rabbit warren of you 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 touching on turbulence. I think I mentioned to listeners when I did the interview with Alan Crawley, my undergraduate degrees in meteorology and oceanography. So I'd be very tempted to go and talk about <laughs> turbulence in water and air, but um, I I get your point, Suresh, and I will resist it. The I, I'm keen to move on to focusing on your work at a leadership level as well um, and i wonder whether many businesses are still investing in for many getting their first data scientist or getting their data science or data engineering function working and there's still that big focus on on technical skills but not necessarily recognizing that they need technical leaders or as i'd call them kind of translator leaders who can speak technical and also communicate effectively with the business do you see that as a problem as well?
1: Yes. And I think even the big guys, I was speaking with one of the big ones, I won't mention mm. their name and they had written, you know, I think one of the most successful technical companies, I think most people can narrow it down to uh, <laughs> three. <or laughs> okay. Yes. <clears throat> and they said even in their hiring, they had come to the realization that they really hadn't focused on technical leaders. Right. Mm. Um, mm. Hiring technical capable people uh, is easy. I would say because there are a lot of people and there's a huge focus on it now. But hiring technical leaders is a different thing because Mm. it involves multiple things. One is you need to be technical, right? Uh, You can't just be a consultant, come in and manage data science, although some people do try that. Uh, So you need to be a technical person. Um, Number two, you need to manage people, right? And um, technical people have the reputation and not being necessarily the best people person. I don't think that's true. I think that's a bit of a, a stereotype. But, but you're right. it managed. is a reputation out there anyway, but it's true. There or is not. a reputation. Yeah. And, as I, and I, as a theoretical physicist, uh, know, know that reputation. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but so you, you, you have to be technical, you have to manage people, but you also have to manage technical projects, right? So you have to be a PM as well. So now we're already yeah. at three skill sets. Yeah. Uh, and it's growing because you also need to be strategic. So we're at four yeah. skill sets. Um, and so finding that kind of person yeah. who also can communicate, fifth skill set, uh, and understand business, six skill sets, right? That's, mm. a, that's a lot, right? We don't mm. expect that of leaders in other functions to be mm. so broad, mm. but a data leader, a data science leader actually needs to have all those uh, skill sets to be successful. Um, so I think that's what I mean by technical leadership. It's, having the non-technical leadership parts plus the technical leadership parts. Right. right? Uh, and I think there has been a focus on hiring uh, leaders who are only uh, technical. We've got, a, we've got a lack of English phrases here to be precise, but who are only on the execu- technical execution side, but you need something broader. Uh, and for building successful businesses that, as we said, solving more complex problems, uh, then you need to find these leaders.
0: Yes. Yes, I, I completely agree, Suresh, and I think there is, although there can be debate about whether you strictly need to be in deep in data science for your technical aspect, certainly there are a range of technical skills, and I agree with you, all those other hats or skills that, that leaders of these functions need to be able to wear, which makes it particularly challenging. I'm keen to touch on maybe a more personal aspect, if I may. Um, of of leadership, challenged these days is I don't want to walk past the fact that many leader many businesses are also concerned now about diversity, especially among their leadership po- population. You know, do they have adequate representation on a gender and a ethnicity basis, etc. Do you think that's a particular challenge for the data science leadership community? I mean, we've already set the bar quite high in saying how many skill sets they need to have. Given that, do you think we're working or need to work against the existing bias that is too white and too male in the data
1: leadership science? <coughs> Excuse me. Um, actually, in this case, I would say no, actually. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I remember when I first visited um, the eBay off, uh, office headquarters um, mm. from Zurich and uh, I was actually shocked, but, you know, it's pleasantly surprised on the diversity I saw there. Uh, in terms of both gender uh, and, uh, let's say, nationality. Yeah. Uh, to cover many aspects of that. So it was quite diverse. And then, if, of course, if you look at the leadership in, in Silicon Valley these days, I mean, you'll notice that it is quite diverse. There may even be a bias towards, uh, I think, India uh, in that case. So I think diversity is not necessarily the an issue. And, and all the companies I've seen globally um, seem, have been fairly diverse, both on gender and nationality. Um, And I think here now, even in Germany and Berlin, just because we're hiring globally, um, Mm -hmm. that diversity is there. Now, you do always find yourself in some situations where there is a gender imbalance, right?
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, It's not as extreme as people may think or as in other fields, Uh, Mm. but I'd say we're fairly good actually in data science, in my experience. Mm.
0: Okay. so So, I mean, I've had,
1: women leaders above me that I've, you know, reported into uh, people around me, and definitely the people in my teams underneath me have been fairly uh, diverse.
0: Yeah. Good. Good. And coming to hear. I wonder whether there is a bit of, that doesn't mean
1: we shouldn't always think about it, right? Because it is a societal issue. So we can't isolate ourselves. Um, for me, I think I've seen more, I think the problem really at the C level where there really is still a lack of female leaders. Uh, yes especially in Europe like in Europe it's quite strong
0: yes 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 I was going to also postulate whether it's different when you're dealing more with with large corporations in the UK more traditional firms I guess a lot of the organizations I work with uh, within the financial services sector or certainly large FTSE 100 or FTSE 250 kind of companies largely um, either based or with significant presence in the UK and I think that group of businesses, maybe compared to some of more the tech sector that you've referred to, Suresh, um, still appearance-wise appears to have a diversity issue.
1: Yeah, I think on the uh, on the engineering side, I, I'd say there still is uh, a gender diversity issue uh, mm. that needs to be worked on. Um, you know, I'm not a full expert on on that side, so we all have to be aware and we all have to be. Helping each other solve that uh, and seeing what's successful in ours or other departments on, you know, mainly the issue of gender diversity.
0: Yep. Okay, great stuff. Dick, let's come back to some of those skills that you mentioned then, Suresh, the whole need to have that breadth of technical and communication and business focused and strategic and whole range of, of different skill sets. I'm interested again to understand your personal story a bit. What skills are you still actively developing as a leader, presuming you're not the absolute finished product?
1: (laughs) Yeah, nobody's a finished product. Um, (laughs) I'd say there's two points there. Uh, One thing, you know, when I first became a a leader uh, here in Europe, I think, especially in a global company, Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you're the, you know, the the lead of, let's put it uh, this way, you're the leader of the truth, right? We in data science, especially in marketing, measure. I like that are are supposed to be the arbiter of truth right mm-hmm. So you have the truth but mm-hmm. the truth may hurt as we all know mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you need to message that truth to uh, uh your colleagues or to leaders and it may be disruptive uh to the business it may be yeah. disruptive to the worldview of the business yeah. it may be disruptive to people's bonuses right when you say <laughs> sorry mm-hmm. um so i think the the first thing that i had to really develop is that to communicate the truth and get people to accept it you can't just say here it is deal with it right Um, yeah and i think those of us from a scientific background are used to operating that way right i mean we deal with more with facts and and listen to it and and don't argue over them too much We, Mm. we try to adapt to it so i think in a more diverse whole company experience then you need to influence in getting that truth across, because if it really is the truth, then you need to adjust the business to it, right? And if you care about the business, then it's important. And, and that took that took a while for me, right? You know, to, mm. to how to influence that truth by, you know, communicating who do you communicate first, yeah. uh, who do you communicate second, uh, without going directly uh, to the person who needs to hear it, right? So it's, it's, it's about building a story, uh, and of course, you need to have built trust with your colleagues before. Yes, that. So it's, it's a long process, right? So I'd say you should have already have built trust yeah. uh, and then after that, you need to build the story uh, and you need to do it slowly and subtly. You can't just yeah. dump it on the table. <laughs> <That> <laughs> would, we'd all love it would be that way for data and data mm. insights, mm. especially when it comes to marketing measurement to say, mm. sorry, this is the way it is, but we're all still humans. Um, so, I think that was the big first learning and development for me. I think now, if I think in my current status, uh, as I've got more involved in really driving product through data, I have a different challenge, which is I'm stepping on the toes of product people, right? So, uh, so yeah. you're, how do you become a partner, um, an equal partner, and mm-hmm without really annoying your partners because <laughs> you're starting to do a bit of their, in their territory, right? So yeah. that, that's a different kind of uh, challenge that I'm working on at present learning. Uh, of course, you know, in the ideal situation, you have leaders who all um, don't think territorially. They only care about the company and, and mm. we're all happy mm. uh, to just collaborate. And, and I have found that in, in certain mm. situations, but it's not always true, as we said. Yeah. It's, it's not a, ch- a judgmental. I mean, we are humans and, you know, we have our yeah. role. Um, so it's really about how do you collaborate uh, without invading, I would say. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah,
0: yeah. No, good, good, good point. You know, maybe we're back again to the uh, to biological complexity. We're, yes. we're, we're, we're dealing with, with human beings. And, and I agree with you. Some of the training I do on things like stakeholder management, it's amazing how many different skill sets come into some of the challenges you've described and you've got that. Intentional stakeholder management. You've got the navigating and understanding of organisational politics. You've got emotional intelligence. You've got communication skills. It is, I, it's a multidisciplinary um, journey of development there, Suresh. So I, I wish you well on it. The um, next thing I wanted to ask was: um, I'm always conscious that I've got a, a mixed audience for both this podcast and, and readership of the blog. Um, between people who are a bit more experienced in their careers, more, more like yourself, uh, kind of got leadership experience under their belt and are facing some of the challenges we've discussed, but also some less experienced um, graduates, new analysts, new data scientists, but a little bit earlier in their career. So I like to pick the brains of people that I've got on the on the podcast or the, the uh, aged wisdom, we could put it that way, um, to just say what skills or knowledge you would now, with hindsight, encourage them to develop? If you were mentoring someone a bit earlier in their career, what tips would you be giving them?
1: Yeah, it's a good question. Actually, I get And I get that question quite often. Um, As you may know, I am part of the mentoring club now, and I've had a lot of uh, people approach me about developing their careers or even starting off their careers in data science. Um, We've reached a point now, actually, where, you know, the the technical aspects, when I say technical aspects, I mean, model building of machine learning is yeah. fairly well understood, fairly well automated. And um, contrary to when I started where you was re- a lot of manual work, we have you know huge frameworks and libraries and Python and automations to do yeah. quite easily and quite fast, right? Obviously you still need to understand it. You can't just run models blindly. You need to understand the details and a bit of mm-hmm. the mathematical underpinnings. Uh, and more importantly you need to know how to manage data uh and, and use the right data and sample the right data and mm. then make the right mm. conclusion mm. so i mean of course you still need to have the core data science um capabilities but what i think now and this wasn't true when i started which is quite a while back is now data yeah. engineering is very important so that's more like data ops and machine learning ops because you need to be able to build the pipelines and and embed your model into production right so i think now it really is required of data scientists to understand more of that software data engineering side. Um, And that really is a challenge for many companies these days, right? How do you operationalize machine learning? It's not building a model. Yes, indeed. How do I put them into the system and how do I operationalize them along with my data warehouses, my production systems and so on? So I think that's the one big advice I give. Um, The second one is really because of that as well on you know the maturity Mm. of data sciences, it's really about communicating uh, and business understanding, right? I mean, these are Great. things that are most important and it's how, what I look for in uh, more junior data scientists, is this someone that can develop into a role that really acts as a partner and consultant to the business. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you can't just be a purely technical person anymore. Um, and I think the third one is entrepreneurship. And entrepreneurship has mm. a very specific meaning about you know starting a company and and you know selling it off or mm. being successful. Entrepreneurship mm. is really about being innovative, even within a large corporate environment, right? So, um, how do you innovate uh, and solve problems uh, in new ways uh, yeah. within the constraints? So that's how I view. I can give an example. My first job at the poker company, as I said, you know the. The online poker ecosystem is so complex. You have many different types of players or agents, as we discussed mm-hmm. before, in terms of complex systems and simulation. <laughs> yes. Different yes. tables, of different wage sizes, uh, and so on. I mean, how do you model that, right? As I said, you need to do an agent based model. But at the time, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't have time to wait two years for um, you know, a researcher or a PhD student to do that mm-hmm. kind of modeling. Mm-hmm. You had to simplify the system. So this is, I say, my first case of being entrepreneurial. I just simplified it to three types of players: you know, uh, mm-hmm. minnows, dolphins, and sharks. Um, <laughs> uh, because you know, the profit of a poker system has uh, is on a percentage of of the table stakes, the rake. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a limit, so that means mm-hmm. the game is huge and there's a lot of money spent. The you know the the company doesn't make so much profit, right? Because you've mm-hmm. gone beyond the cap. So. Mm-hmm. I don't think we have time to go into the details, but I simplified it to <coughs> uh, minnows who are new players coming in, losing fast, who provide liquidity to this complex ecosystem. The sharks are the big winners, usually okay. professional poker players. You need them more for marketing. Uh, and then the dolphins, I call them dolphins because you know dolphins go up and down in the waves. So these are the players that win and lose in small amounts, but keep doing it. So you slowly, Suck the profit from them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. oh, bless it's, it's like a friction. The profit is a friction. And that's the way it should be, right? For a nice, mm. sustainable ecosystem, is you can't mm. have a, too much of a disruptive system. You need something where it's just a small friction. So it's a stable ecosystem, people are happy, uh, and the business is happy as well. Uh, and that's, I would say, one example of entrepreneurship, right? So simplifying okay. this massively complex problem mm. into a framework mm. to get started, right? Because you can't wait two years. You need to get going, you need to solve problems. Um, and that framework also enabled marketing and business to ask questions of uh, me and the other uh, members of the BI team. Um, the final thing I say, and I think this is true for everyone, it's something I had to learn, especially as a male, is uh, listen. Uh, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, try to listen. Be yeah. patient and listen. Uh,
0: yeah. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Really good set of, set of tips there for those who are uh, new in their careers. Those wanting to learn a bit more about data ops. You could do a lot worse than listen to episode one with Harvinder Atwal, where he, he really talks about his book, Practical Data Ops. Yeah, that, That's that like was that. an excellent
1: book. I read that recently and that, that actually motivated me to think about that even more.
0: Yeah, Great. Good. Thank you, Suresh. And I completely concur with your points about the importance of the softer skills, the business interest and the communication, the entrepreneurship, really interesting one and, and listening in important for the rest of our careers. Absolutely. Final question, if I may, Suresh, um, although I, I feel like I could talk to you all day. Can you give us an example of something you've changed your mind on? We're all constantly learning and growing as, as leaders and hopefully as, as, as data scientists as well. What's something that you've changed your mind on in the last few years that you used to see differently?
1: I think one thing that's recently, just because of the environment and constraints is on how and who I hire, um, <laughs> I've been lucky to be in the position before because of where I worked uh, and my profile to attract the best, right? So, yeah, um, going for the superstars. Obviously, also, especially a bigger company is being very responsible and hiring people out of university as well, junior people, because obviously, you know, the world doesn't work if we always hire the experienced people, right? Everyone needs to be given yeah. a chance. And if you're yeah. in a bigger company, yeah. you have a social responsibility to hire at multiple experiences as levels.
0: Com- completely uh, agree.
1: But, e- but even at startups now, where in the past, where I would be able to attract the superstars. It's not always the case, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I've actually changed my view on hiring more to really looking exclusively for, for potential now. I always obviously mm-hmm. looked for that, but now looking for junior people with potential and, and mm-hmm. enabling them to develop. Uh, I think it's different from, you know, when I started this uh, 15 years ago in data science, is that because we have so much tools available to us, um, really people can learn so much faster, right? Um, so it's really looking for that potential and, and coaching them and they will actually learn quite fast. Um, and then it's about the other um, tools that we talked about, you know, communication uh, and business acumen and so on. Um, so I've changed the way on how I look at who to bring in. I've really now switched completely to focusing on potential. Great, right, I like it. sounds like the um, data science uh, version of
0: Moneyball where you, you, you spot the potential and uh, the underlying abilities rather than people being famous. That's that's pretty good. Definite useful approach. That's great. Thanks for that. And many thanks for your time today, Suresh. It's been fascinating. We've got into so many different topics we could have gone into a lot more depth on. So thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you so much, Paul. Uh, I do appreciate the chance to talk about this. And maybe we'll do this again. We'll talk about turbulence.
0: Sounds, Sounds good. Thank you also listeners for listening. I hope you found that helpful and continue to listen to the Customer Insight Leader podcast. More great interviews coming up, and each week there's also fresh content on our blog, Customer Insight Leader or oneword dot com. So you might want to check that out too. Before then, thanks everyone for your time, hopefully giving you plenty to think about this week, and stay safe. Bye for now.